Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Called to confession comes from Psalm 16, verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Growing up on a farm personally has provided many fond memories. I often think about the simple life of running around with my dogs, riding my horses, and sledding down the hills in winter. These dreams often cause me to long for the good old days. But then I recall all the labor that was done, baling hay, pitching manure, early morning chores, etc. And when I visit the old homestead, I can't figure out how we ever survived in such a remote, desolate location. These reminders give me a reality check and keep me from carelessly selling everything and moving back to the farm. Don't get me wrong, I still love my childhood memories. I just don't think I would survive very well there now. For the most part, Psalm 16 is a positive song affirming the joys and benefits of worshiping God. However, verse 4 is the only negative statement in the psalm and is set in contrast to the assertion made in verse 3 to delight in those people who are godly and noble. For example, living in obedience to God. The psalmist uses this statement as a reminder that worshiping God not only involves doing positive actions of blessing, but also includes avoiding the beliefs and activities that God abhors. In this case, it is not possible to delight in those who are for God as well as those who are against him. God's word is replete with instruction and examples of the distinction between the ungodly and the godly, the unrighteous and the righteous, the fool and the wise man, and their state of being in the end, death versus life, destruction versus exaltation. This principle is as old as our first parents who were given numerous blessings to enjoy and one condition to avoid. As you know, they failed to remember what they should not do, and here we are today. And we all know that forgetting the unfavorable condition is often one of those frog-in-the-frying-pan situations. We don't intend to delight in the ungodly, but then we see their success and wonderful personalities, and before we know it, we just can't help ourselves but follow their lead. That's when verse 4 needs to come to mind, and we are reminded of their real condition. They are God's enemies. They hate him, and their sorrows will increase. Therefore, we must not delight in them nor their practices. We may need a reality check. It is wise to evaluate our passions and practices to see if we have carelessly sold everything and moved back to the farm. This truth reminds us of our need for confession. Please kneel if you are able and join together as we confess our sins to God.
long-expected Savior, the one who is worthy to be worshipped, the one who forgives sin, the one who remembers our sin no more and does not hold it against us. No longer do you look upon us and pour out your wrath, but you look at your Son, Jesus Christ, on whom you poured out your wrath. Thank you for his obedience. Thank you for accepting him on our behalf. And now as we hear your word by your spirit, may our hearts be softened. May we be ready to do what you have told us and called us to do. To your honor and glory. Amen. Well, I've been uh, working out on my elliptical machine. My last visit to the doctor was didn't quite go so well. He wasn't, when he said, you know, Eric, you might help, be helpful if you get in shape, he wasn't humored when I said, well, you know, round is a shape. He, he didn't let, no, you, you chuckle, he didn't uh, at all. And so he, you know, he started giving me some marker, you know, you lose some weight, control your blood pressure, control your blood sugar, and things, things will get better. Well, I got this elliptical, it's got this neat little monitor there in front of me, it's got all this data, right? It's, the data junkie would love this. It's got, it's got time and distance, it's got resistance and incline, it's got the number of calories that are being burned off, and shows you how, how many stride, you know, how many steps you've taken, and then there's an RPM gauge. Well, I mean, you could be looking at all this stuff while you're working out, it's like, ooh, ooh what's, what's happening, right? You're, you look at the time, you're like, oh man, I still have that much time to go, you kind of get a little depressed, you're a little frustrated, or uh, you look at the distance, you're like, man, I've been working hard, and that's all I've gone, right? Come on, I thought I'd gone further than, than that, or I see the resistance and the incline increase, I'm like, oh man, there's another obstacle, it's going to get harder, and I talk myself into slowing down and not working so hard. And then I look at the calorie counter, I'm like, come on, I have to burn more calories than that. Really? I've worked, working, working, sweating, sweating, and there's only that many calories, so there's a little disbelief there. And then you look at the stride number, and that's awesome, because that's a huge number. So it's like there's a lot of strides, whatever you're doing. This. So that's, that's why you want to look at that number to be overly, overly confident and get a false sense of pride. And then the RPM, just a constant number that's pretty realistic, um, that kind of gives you a target. And you can look through all those and, I mean, I guess you can spend your time analyzing all those and try to figure it out. But I've discovered that if I focus simply on the RPM, the revolutions per minute, all those other things are taken care of. The time ends up finishing when it always does. I always achieve or exceed the distance I want to. Uh, the same thing with calories. I really don't pay attention to the resistance incline anymore. It, it happens. But if I'm focused on the RPMs, it's not that much, no, that's not that really that noticeable. Um, and, uh, and I still end up with a huge number of, in my stride column. And so um, I, I, I try to focus on the RPM. And I, I make it through my, my workout in, in good fashion. God's word provides us with a plethora of instruction that can become overwhelming to understand and apply. And we learned last time together that Moses pours out a bunch of last-minute instructions in the book of Deuteronomy, right? Three discourses plus some introductory and concluding uh, information. That could be information overload, okay? And, uh, and you ask yourself, how are we going to remember all of this? 
How are we going to uh, live up to all of these? Are, oh, these expectations. Are, we've been living good. and That's all the further we've gotten. We've only, we've only covered two verses, right? And, uh, there's, there, it could be kind of try, try to keep tracking of all those uh, items, the data on the monitor. It could become overwhelming or we get lost in the, doing the analysis and we lose track of what we're actually working on. And our passage in uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, kind of serves as that RPM gauge to um, help us stay focused and keep on track for the goal as summarized by the Apostle Paul later in the book of Romans, where he says, what does he call us to do? By the mercies of God, I beseech you, brothers, to do what? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's a good summary of what what Moses is telling us. That's a good summary of what God calls us to do. To live daily as a sacrifice to God and worship Him. That's that's our reasonable service. That's what's reasonable in God's kingdom. So last time together, we learned that Moses introduced this selection, this passage, by establishing two fundamental truths. Right In verse 1... What's he say? Chapter 6, verse 1. Now this is the commandment, and these are the uh, statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. Right? Remember the two, two foundational truths here? One, this is God's word. It's not Moses. It's not somebody else. This is God speaking. And secondly, when God speaks, there's an expectation that man will obey. Right? God's word should lead to man's obedience. And that's the premise from which uh, Moses is working here. And then we began to unwrap the summary instructions here. We remember that these three verses are kind of a synopsis of what's going to be coming in the next, the rest of the chapter, the next few uh, chapters. And uh, we see, first of all, he's going to uh, establish a principle And we talked about that. What was the key principle that he wanted the Israelites to remember was to fear the Lord your God. He laid laid that down. Um, And, uh, you know, the idea is that we're going to fear something. There's always going to be something out there to fear, whether we're in fear of dying from high blood pressure or blood sugar or fear of uh, driving into a ditch or hitting a deer or fear of uh, of having a bad president or a terrible Congress or... uh, Lightning bolt hit. There's something that we're going to fear, right? Moses says, fear God. And then um, we might as well make the one who's the sovereign creator the one that we fear. Because he controls all that other stuff, right? So he says, the principle here is to fear God. Then he lays out some parameters that are going to guide that. Because that, that fear of God thing, that's kind of like, it's, it's tangible, but it's more of an abstract idea. It's, it's like lose weight. Lower your blood sugar, lower your blood pressure. Well, you can't just do those things. You have to do something to cause those to happen. Right? Fear, fear of God, certainly there's a point of that, but it demonstrates itself through how we live. That's, that's how we have that fear of God, it's demonstrating our obedience. And that's, that's what he sets up as those parameters. Uh, he talks about the... Um, the uh, actual um, extent of that, the duration of it, what the actual 
action is, and we're going to uh, look at those more today. And then he finishes that section with a promise, uh, talking about what is the, the lasting effect of following this principle and living within these parameters. So t- let's um, pick up where we left off last time and uh, see if we can uh, finish with what Moses is saying here. Um, want to uh, start there with verse 2 then and look at what Moses is reminding us. He says that you may fear the Lord your God, there's the principle, to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your sons and your grandsons, all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. So the principle is to fear God. The extent is that we should do it generationally, right? We talked about this last time. It needs to go from one generation to the other. That's always the, the downfall, right? As we look at, oh, those millennials, right? Or those, we were the, you know, whatever. It was not, it's not the kids. Well, it is the kids, right? But it's the failure of the, of the current generation to hold those kids available and to uh, teach them well. That's, we saw that with the Israelites, right? You th- read through the book of the Judges and other places. They, they'd live well, they'd, they'd honor God, and then they'd get kind of lax and lazy and wouldn't pass it on, wouldn't pass God's truth on to the next generation. And that generation would become rebellious to God, so he would then intervene and wake them up, bring some kind of tribulation or persecution or captivity, and then they would say, oh, we need to get back to the word of God, it would be discovered, like Josiah did, right? Discovered it in the wall. Said, oh, we probably should read this. And he began to teach it and have it reproduced and to read it. And, and that's what uh, we're reminded. Don't skip a generation, because if you do, that won't go well with you. And so it needs to go from one generation uh, to another. Uh, and then um, it needs to, uh, what, the, the, the real RPM here, as, as Moses uh, describes what we should do, the real, the, the real RPM is the expectation. What is it that if we focus on one thing, what is it that will make sure that we pass it on to the next generation, that we have a fear of God, and that is obedience to God's word, right? This point is key as we see it showing up in each of these verses, right? What, if we go back to verse 1, what did he say? These are the words of God, do them in the land. Here in verse 2, he says, keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you. Just keep them, right? Obey them. And then verse 3, he's going to say, be careful to observe them. That theme, that idea flows through all three verses as, as repeated, right? And sometimes things get repeated and we don't pay attention because they're so common. But remember, repetition from an education standpoint and from a learning standpoint, repetition is the mother of all learning, right? Repeat, 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 repeat. Eventually, hopefully, it'll sink in and you'll remember that. And God, that is necessary. Uh, Man man has a hard head, primarily because he has a hard heart. Jeremiah reminds us that's a heart of stone, Noah, the story Noah reminds us that the, the, the salvation through the flood didn't change Noah's heart. It was still always evil continually. Just the thoughts. Right? That's, that's man's heart. That's our heart. 
It's not going to change. And so since man's heart is heart, hard, God remembers and God knows that our propensity will be to forget. Right? And, and I've discovered this. The older you get, the, the more propensity that is. <laughs> it, you, we forget things. We just, it, some of it's physical, but some of it's just we get busy. Some of it's we just get um, distracted. Or some of it's just we don't want to do it, so we choose to forget. Right? So we are, we are a people who forget. And, and that was highly characteristic of the Israelites, right? I mean, how soon, just think about their exodus, right? How soon did they forget that God took them out of Egypt? How soon did they forget the 400 years of living on the farm? Right? They get out in the, in the wilderness like, oh, if we could only go back to Egypt, where it was safe and secure as um, uh, Green, what's his name? Let's sing Steve Green? Steve Green, right? Love that song. I want to go back to Egypt, right? Where it's safe and secure. They could feast and had to, only had to make bricks. It was so good compared to living in the wilderness, right? And they, they stood there on the promised land and oh, how big those giants were. Bigger than the God that brought them out of Egypt who destroyed Pharaoh, who fed them and brought them safely. Those giants were just too, too big for, for them. So unbelief and forgetfulness is very characteristic of what we're going to do. So, so God re, re, reminds us and reviews time and again. This is key to what you need to do. And the key is to obey me. God graciously gives us that reminder time and time again. And here's a story of when you don't obey. And look what happens. It doesn't turn out well. And here's a story when you don't obey. And here's what happens. And we see that in Saul's life. Uh, King Saul. We see that in the David's life. We see that in Israel's life. We see that in the Pharisees' life. We see that in Ananias and Sapphira. We see that in the... Yeah, replete time and again when they pretend to hear God's word or they, they take God's word and pretend to obey but they don't really obey God keeps his promise that it will not turn out okay and we need to believe that promise we need to believe that principle and stay focused on that don't be, we can't become distracted by oh look at all these things Man, how how, how Often do we sit around and say, man, I would just wish I knew what the will of God was. Right? How many discussions have we heard about that? How many discussions have we had about that? How many books have been read, have been written about that? How many books have been read about that? If we could just discover the will of God. <laughs> it doesn't have to be discovered. It's right there. It has to be read and obeyed. And if we are focused on obeying him, guess what? The job takes care of itself. The finances take care of themselves. The house takes care of themselves. The family takes care of themselves. What does is, what is Christ promise in Matthew chapter 6? Seek first the kingdom of God. And then you'll just die and be forgotten. Right? Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things 
will be added to you. Well, there's where our prosperity goes. Oh, see, we get all things. No, well, in context, what is it? You'll get a house and food and, and probably clothing. Right? Do we worry about those things? Is Christ right? Solomon, in all of his glory, Solomon, in all of his wisdom, couldn't compare to the flowers of the field that God takes care of in his creation. Do you think he'll take care of his people as they obey him? So John Knox reminds us that we need to study. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, Calvin reminds us. Let's, let's talk to Calvin first. That grace restrains the soul from sinning. Not out of dread of punishment, but because it loves and reveres God the Father. With a fear of God, or through grace, even if there were no hell, even if hell did not exist, it would still shudder at offending, at offending the holy God. Do we simply fear God because we're afraid of hell? Then our fear is of hell. It's not a fear of God. Do we understand the sovereign, providential creator of the universe who has graciously poured his mercy out on us? And do we revere him in awe and fear for who he is not for what he might do or not might what might happen to us or what might not work out. Do we obey God simply because then life will be better for me? Or do we obey God because he says obey me? Do we remember this obedience? First John reminds us that the love of God is this. We talk about loving, right? Love is a great word. All the beauty contests are looking for love and peace. And it's a huge, love is the kind of a, the, it's an important term. But what, what does First John tell us? Love of God is keeping his commandments. Is that how we show our love to God? Because we keep our, his commandments and then that in turn helps us love other and how you know so then Paul, the, the Moses moves on. That's the expectation. That's the focus on this. I'm supposed to obey God. How long should it, this take place? All the days of your life. Right. What? How many days are not included in all? If you count all the days of your life that you've been here and you hope to be there, which ones? don't fit into the all category. Right? Moses is pretty clear when we are supposed to, well, you know, I, I take Saturdays off. Today I rest, I can do whatever I want, right? Now, every day of our life, we're expected to obey God. God saves his people at different stages of their life. They may be young, they may be middle-aged, they may be old-aged, they may be on their deathbed. But when he saves them, actually even before he saves them, he expects obedience. But when he saves them, 
They are instilled with his spirit who only does what? Obeys him. And how often have we ever heard people argue, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a young believer. I, it takes a while to change things. How long did it take Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead? How long did it take him to change the water to wine? How long did it take God to create the whole universe? I think too often we, we, we convince ourselves that I've got, I, you know, just, I'm going to ease into my, my Christianity. I'm going to ease into my faith. God wouldn't expect me to obey him immediately. God, that would be expected of mature people. Right? It takes time to, to grow in to maturity. It, it, certainly it's a life of sanctification. I don't want to fall into that other ditch that says, you know, Immediately you're saved and you're out there doing everything. But is that possible? I mean, look at the life of the Apostle Paul. Did that guy change? God has changed people who are hardcore enemies of him. In fact, every believer who has been Changed was a hardcore enemy of God. So it is his expectation that the regenerate person will live a life of obedience. Maybe not perfectly, but in humility. Not resisting and complaining along the way. Right, That's what the Israelites were, were characterized by. So they went and lived 40 years. And those that resisted and complained were left in the wilderness and did not enter into the promise. What characterizes the life of the Christian? Is it resistance and complaint? Is it, expl- is it explained in a way my disobedience? How many, uh, how often do I do that or, or hear others explaining away or complaining? Rather, my obedience, our obedience is characterized through confession and repentance. This is true of the life of the believer because this is the character of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's how Christ lived. He did not complain. He did not excuse. He obeyed. And he said, when I go, I am going to send my spirit and he will make you like me. And so that is to be our life. Christ didn't just show up in a vacuum and all of a sudden all was good. What does say? He grew in stature and wisdom. He had to work through all of this. He had pain and suffering. He struggled with temptation. He experienced everything that we experienced and more. And he alone accomplished it perfectly. So why do we think we can do it on our own? We need to believe God's word is true. Fear him. Obey him. And watch God's spirit work in us. As John Knox said, study to practice in life that which the Lord commands. And then be assured that you will never hear nor read the same without fruit.
Do we approach God's word and say, yes, I must do this? Or do we approach it and say, well, maybe that's not what he's really saying. Or we ask somebody else, what, what do you think it says? Well, in my opinion. Right? So we stand in judgment of God's word rather than reading it and saying, how is God's spirit going to produce fruit in my life? Knox continues to say, in youth, in middle age, and now after many battles, I find nothing in me but corruption. We have no business standing in judgment over God's word because we are corrupt. Even in our best day, we can't fully understand it. It's beyond our wisdom and knowledge. But by God's spirit, we are able to live it out and obey it and watch him do the work. There's no guarantee that the journey will be easy, but God expects obedience along the way. And he concludes this verse with then the promise. Right? You fear God, obey him, pass it on from generation to generation, obey your whole life. What's the promise? That your days may be prolonged. Extended life. Right? We buy, buy extended warranties all the time on things so that we hope to make them last longer. And even just think about our own lives. What do we do regularly to try to extend our lives? Right? We focus on eating right, exercise. We take vitamins or drugs. We seek out medical care and advice of the doctors who are guessing for the most part as much as we are. Right? We, we, we're, we work through all these things. We go through our checklist. I can, I can live longer if I do this. How often do people say, obey God and live longer? Right? Paul reminds us that was the first commandment with promise back in the Ten Commandments, right? What was the promise of children obeyed their parents? They would live long. Now, We need to be cautious on how we apply that in this new covenant, right? With Israel in the old covenant, there seemed to be a temporal focus that they would actually gain years of life if they obeyed God. Time and again, he says they'll live long in the promised land. There's an eternal blessing that is seen through this as well. And so, as Christians, we really can't be guaranteed that we're going to have a long life on this earth. But we can be guaranteed that we'll have a long life in eternity. It's, there's a shift from the temporal mindset of, we can't, we can't wake up every morning and say, I'm going to live to be 84 years old because I'm obeying God. That'd be great. And God may bless that. But the real promise for the Christian under the new covenant is that there's eternal hope with some temporal blessing. P Paul reminds us in, in, in Romans 8 that of the preservation of the saints, right? 
As God goes about his work and he elects and he calls and he predestines, he's going to justify and he is going to glorify. How long does eternal life last? It's not another trick question. It lasts forever, right? Eternally. How long does life on earth last? Well, we, we pretty much have our actuary tables and our life expectancy tables, and we can figure that out. Right now, I think it's just over 73 is the average, and it's growing, right? The insurance companies are like, oh, how are we going to do this? Life expectancy continues to grow and grow. Social Security is running out because people are living longer. On the contrary, actually, we are promised persecution and tribulation, right? Remember Christ and his teaching in Matthew 5? And so the temporal blessings we already mentioned is that if we seek God, he will take care of our needs as he sees fit, and we can trust him to do that. But out of obedience, we will be preserved And we will see eternal life in Christ. As that Prince of Preachers says, it seems, according to the Old Testament, that temporal prosperity was appended as a blessing to the keeping of God's commandments. It has been sometimes said that while prosperity was the blessing of the Old Covenant, adversity is the blessing of the New. And there is some truth in that statement, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And yet it is true that the best thing for a Meal is that we should walk in the commands of God. There is a sense in which we do make the best of both worlds when we seek the love of God. When we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, other things are added to us. So that it is not without meaning to us that the Lord here promises temporal blessings to his people. We can expect God's blessing. We can't expect to live to a hundred. But we can expect to live for eternity. Which is just a little bit longer than longer. Just a little bit. So finally Moses, after establishing this principle and setting some parameters and stating the promise, he's going to conclude this passage with a warning. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God of your fathers has promised you, A land flowing with milk and honey. Two actions, right? Hear. Hear, O Israel. Most humans are born with ears, right? Not all humans can hear naturally. Some are born deaf. But every human is born unable to hear spiritually. And it takes a miracle for that hearing to be healed. As Christ reminded his listeners, those of you who have ears to hear, listen and obey. Right? Only the regenerate man can hear and understand as the Holy Spirit has come to be the hearing aid, to heal that understanding and hearing. And this was the promise that Christ gave as he left this earth. 
In John 16, he said, when I leave, I will send the spirit to you and he will come and guide you in all truth. And so if we have the spirit, we can hear. If we don't have the spirit, you're still responsible to hear. And may the Lord's spirit work upon you to give you the hearing and understanding to obey. And the, read, the way you will know if you hear or not, check your RPM. Are you obeying God's word? Am I hearing? I will obey. And then he says, be careful. Right? First of all, hear, and then be careful. James reminds us that we can't be hearers only, but we must also be doers. Time again, the analogy of being a watchman, keeping, staying awake. Many some of the Christ's parables talked about being alert, staying awake, be ready, be at the ready for Christ to come. Don't fall asleep. Here, so hear and be careful. And how do I know if I'm really hearing and I'm being careful as I should? I'm obeying God's word. I'm reading it and I'm doing it. And once again, he gives that benefit. That it will go well, it will multiply, because God keeps his word. Right? Right back to the very beginning. Why is this important? Why is this something that can be believed? Because this is the word of God. And it's always true. It's always trustworthy. It's always powerful. It's always on point. And it always, it's always kept by God. The great reformer Martin Butcher says, To protect from all offense and falling away, and continually encourage in all good things those who stay within the flock and in Christ's sheep pen without grievously sinning or becoming weak and sick in their Christian walk. This is his instruction to shepherds and pastors. Hold your parishioners, hold your, your congregants accountable. Support them in their weakness. Point out when they're sinning. Because that obedience to God's word is key to living eternally. About 1,500 years after Moses spoke these words, the writer to the Hebrews spent some time going through these issues as well. And after proving the superiority of Christ in numerous areas. He's superior to angels. He's superior to the priesthood. He's superior to the old covenant and Moses. Christ is superior to the sacrifices. We read that this morning. He then um, gives examples of those who've lived by faith, right, in chapter 11. And he calls the readers, he calls his audience then to follow their example. Live by faith. And, and he's got this, the author is going to use a similar approach to this lesson as Christ did in his teaching on the Sermon of the Mount. Remember when Christ dealt with, when he talked about blessing? We read that as like, well, that's not really blessing. Really? To be persecuted? Right? 
to be killed, to, to blessing. It's really, we should be happy when things aren't really working out. They talk, then he goes down to the area of anger management and uh, lust control, right? If you're anger, angry in your heart, really you're a murderer. If, if you simply lusted after another person, you've actually committed adultery, right? He's, he's heightened, heightened the experience. We tend to think that in the age of grace and the new covenant, in the new covenant, things have gotten simpler. But Christ reminds us now that we have the spirit within us, actually the bar is raised. And the writer of the Hebrews reminds that as well. In, in Hebrews 12, he says, you have not come to the physical mountain, Sinai, right? Remember the context is they're sitting there at the mountain and Moses and the mountain is shaking and everybody's afraid they get so afraid they get confused they say let's we should build an idol right they, they just go stir crazy they, they can't figure it out so they build an idol they fall back on their old habits that's what you do in Egypt that's what you do in pagan lands when you can't figure out what to do you build an idol and you worship it and the writer of Hebrews says you haven't come to the physical mountain But you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. A reminder of who we are following and who we are approaching and who we are claiming to live for. And he concludes with this. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Isn't that great news? It's stable. There's nothing. The mountain shook at Sinai. Nothing will shake Zion. Nothing will ever destroy it. It will never be conquered. It is permanent. And because it is permanent, we should be thankful. And as an expression of our gratitude, he says, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Whatever pictures we've conjured up in our mind about God, we need to be reminded again of who He really is. And that His Word is true, it's powerful, it's, it's everlasting, it has no error in it, and it must be obeyed. And it's the fear of the Lord that characterizes His people. So stay focused on your RPM faith gauge. Fear the Lord, it displaces all other fears in our life. Obey His word, you'll always be right. Teach it to others, especially our children. Be watchful, because there's an enemy out there seeking to devour his prey. And he will enjoy God's blessing in this world and the world to come. 
May we have ears to hear, hearts to receive, and faith to obey. Then it will be well with your soul. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God in Christ, you have revealed your glory among the nations. Preserve the works of your mercy that your church throughout the world may persevere with steadfast faith in the confession of your name. By your spirit, we will obey and your spirit will produce fruit to your honor and glory. And we ask these things through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. The Bible is chock full of references to bread. Bread appears as a gift, such as in Melchizedek's uh, gift to Abram. It shows up when Jacob deceived Esau and gave him some bread with the lentil soup. Bread is clearly a leading character in the Passover feast. And it's, what's, it's what fed Israel in the wilderness. In fact, sharing bread in the Psalms is an expression of close friendships. So putting it all together, we see that the purpose of bread, whether it's literal or figurative, is central in our relations in the life of the church. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says that we are one loaf, which is why we say we are bound together as one. And again, in John 6, Jesus is referred to as the true bread from heaven. So then we come to the Lord's Supper, and we eat from one bread as a fulfillment of this beautiful typology. God uses the theme to invite us to his Son, who is the bread of life. We come together today as one loaf offered to God. May God hear us and accept our offering. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.